You're listening to Wide Atlantic Weird, the podcast that uses tales of the strange, a little bit of the supernatural, the paranormal, and even a few cases of weird fiction in order to find out the answer to the question, why do people believe weird things? Now, this episode is a very special one in which I am reunited with a former guest, that is Mr. Neil Phillips. Uh, And this episode, I have decided to call Fake News in Science. I was getting groceries this week and I saw one of the terrible, terrible UK red tops, which is uh, one of the really cheap, uh, bad, uh, I hesitate to use the word newspapers, but uh, newspaper-like objects, I suppose, would uh, give them the utmost amount of dignity to which I think they're entitled. And the headline said something about a Z-grade British celebrity who had been attacked by a seagull. And it reminded me that it was, of course, that time of year when all of the British papers decide to pretty much declare war on nature in all of its forms. So being a naturalist and a former zoologist myself, I decided to get to the root of this issue. Why do we, as people in this country and other countries, seem to have such a problem with nature that we feel the need to demonise it and destroy it, um, especially at this time of year? So the fake news aspect of this podcast is coming to the fore for this episode. Uh, in terms of the ideas of how our ideas about truth are changing, uh, changing incredibly quickly, I think. So I will be joined uh, by Neil for this episode. Uh, He, of course, is a naturalist also, a science educator, and a fantastic wildlife photographer as well. We will give you his um, details and places where you can find him online because his work is tremendous, and you should very much check it out. Now, some of what we're doing in this episode is quite timely. After we got done recording, I was back in the cabin, the Wide Atlantic Weird cabin, of course, where I record all of my episodes, uh, which, for the record, is still located somewhere in deepest, darkest Essex. Well, when I got back to the cabin, I was messing around on Twitter, which is, as we always say, a terrible, terrible place. But I did notice that a particular scientific feud has been kicked off once again, uh, this is something that we did end up spending some time talking about on the podcast. And this, this is a feud between um, a um, acquaintance and friend of Neil, uh, Mr. Darren Nash, who's a, a great British scientist and a science popularizer, uh, is particularly known for his work with dinosaurs. But um, some criticism he did of a scientist or a, a non-scientist, as you'll hear in the show, a fellow called Brian Ford. Um, can't remember the name of the book actually because it doesn't miss a terrible book and I don't particularly want to promote it but basically this guy is promoting pseudoscience about dinosaurs and um, it's being refuted it's kicking off on Twitter again so that makes this episode a little bit more timely than usual it's early in the morning when I recorded this so I'm just drinking and um, I can't tell you what it's called because everything written on the pack is in, in Italian um, and it was given to me by a good friend who's come over to these this neck of the woods uh, from Italy recently and it's in a weird backpack bag which I'm just getting to grips with. So I'll be mulling, uh, sitting back and drinking some of that while you listen to my interview with Mr. Neil Phillips on the topic of fake news in are uh, out in the forest in an undisclosed location once again with me once again is Mr. Neil Phillips. Hello. Uh, wildlife photographer, science educator, anything else? Uh, 
Annoying of men? Annoyer of men. Annoyer of women, occasionally? Uh, no, that sounds like something prosecutable. Oh, it does, it does. <laughs> and we'll be speaking about prosecutions, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my idea for this episode, Neil, is that we shall cover a few things connected to the idea of fake news in science. One of the themes of the podcast uh, listeners know is I take an interest in the concept of post-truth, the idea that we're kind of speeding up the process um, at which information becomes untrustworthy. Uh, we're speeding up the process at which it's becoming more and more difficult for people to know what to believe. And the, the idea that there's one single uh, take on reality is, is being shattered faster and faster. So um, we have a number of different topics I hope we're going to hit on, many of which I think you will have some expertise in. Um, uh, this week, I, s I was looking at the red tops in the supermarkets mm -hmm. when I was picking up some stuff. And as usual at this time of year, there are scare stories about animals. Yeah. Seems something that seems to happen every summer. Yeah, every August. They run out of stories, and it's, it's, uh, let's have a go at the wildlife. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, seagulls. Um, seagulls, yeah. I, I, I saw you on the phone, I just sat there, who are scoffing at the use of the word seagull there. But they use the word <laughs> seagull. Um, there is no species that is referred to as seagull. If, if that's what, so, but there is such things as seagull. It's very confusing. But anyway, so seagulls, we use um, you know, herring gulls, yes. lesser backpack gulls, greater backpack gulls. Um, there was that story of a, a dog. <laughs> having been taken by a seagull and um, uh, a good friend of mine, Mark Whitten, uh, did some calculations and unless the dog was very small, <laughs> it seems unlikely it could take off with one. But um, interestingly, um, uh, the the owner didn't actually witness it being taken, her other half did. And uh, there's been much speculation, so we say, online <laughs> of what actually happened. But uh, Very diplomatic of you. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I think if... It was a chihuahua, so even if it was one of these pocket ones, it's got to weigh at least a kilo. <laughs> and um, a, a gull could, if, a, if they said the gull had picked it up and swallowed it whole and then flown off, I could actually believe that. I have seen them do that to a rabbit um, and to pufflings and baby orcs. But uh, yes, a big um, yeah, dog. You know, chihuahuas are not exactly known for being um, placid either, are they? So uh, No. Yeah, I'm not saying it didn't happen or couldn't <laughs> have happened, but it just strikes me as remarkable, shall we say. Um, but uh, yeah, and the Daily Star especially has latched onto this killer goals, and um, apparently someone had a heart attack after a goal attacked him, and so they now kill people. And it's just oh, oh dear. And it's basically, <laughs> I think a lot of this comes from um, goals uh, are very protective of their nests, and they like flat roofs, so they'll, they'll nest on a flat roof. Um, and, and they it, do well in, in urban areas yes, too, don't they? And that's it's because of us leaving food everywhere. Like a lot of these creatures. Um, but I think in the grand scheme of things, the threat of goals is fairly negligible. Um, again, with a lot of these stories, um, you sometimes wonder if something else. There's a whole campaign group. Um, I say a whole campaign group. It seems to be just one man in Devon. <laughs> um, but there just seems to be a bit of a movement. People want to um, cull goals because they wake them up in the morning. Oh, they, um, and But the funny thing is, people that have grown up in these fishing towns... Um, aren't bothered by them a lot of these people seem to be people that have retired to this lovely seaside ideal and then moan about the oh, noise not, as, not as quiet as they had imagined <laughs> yeah it's part of the seaside you know well you live anywhere you get used to yeah. the sounds around you and you just, like if you're not used to living in the city yeah nighttime noises seem really intense at first but then after a while your brain just kind of filters that out yeah i mean people live ne right next door to railways and seem oh to yeah survive. i do <laughs> right. yeah exactly you do yeah um and I've, i grew up next to the a12 the noise of that, people honking the horns all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm quite a good sleeper, I suppose. Maybe if you suffer from insomnia or something, I can imagine. But 
there's so, a lot of this kind of goes around this time of year. I mean, you get the, uh, well, I'm still waiting for the classic um, great white shark seen off the English coast. <laughs> which is it, well, near the end of August and I haven't seen one yet, which is, um, there was one a few years ago. Um, someone caught what was obviously a poor beagle shark, which is, you know, is related to a great white shark, um, caught by a fisherman. Um, and it started from there and someone saw an opportunity and sold a picture to the papers oh. of a great white shark which it turned out was photographed off of South Africa. So it's nice to know the journalists do their homework with these things and check the validity of it. A lot of it seems to uh, me to be people, like journalists, seizing on something ordinary that happens every year and I then using say, Trump, I, Trump. I do resent to the um, use of the word journalist there yes, <laughs> in some sorry, of these I'm, cases. I'm, <laughs> I'm overstating the fact. I think the, these folks uh, will choose something that happens, mm. something natural that happens in nature, usually something to do with seagulls or or insects mm. and then start using words like invasion yes britain Swarm. to be invaded by swarms of blah yeah well i'd say we, we saw um, without going too far talking political uh, with brexit they're using that we're going to certain groups of people but uh, yes with, with animals it seems to happen quite a lot um like the invasion of the false widow spider that's, yes let's talk uh, about that of the um our friends who work for Bug Life and British Arachnological, uh, British Arachnological Society, I should say, um, which is spiders and scorpions and stuff, um, and they are just inundated with it. I've, I get people, I run a Facebook page called UK Wildlife, and people send messages, oh, is this dangerous? <laughs> and friends contact me. Um, as schools were shut down last winter yes. over this, um, and there's a bit of a backstory of that which will probably come out eventually. Um, can't, we can't um, say more at, no, at the time of recording. I'm not sure at the moment, but basically it involves pest control companies advising that they need to give them lots of money to uh, remove said spiders. Um, the false widow spider, um, for those who don't know, um, there's actually a few species in the, in the genus, um, and they can bite, they can cause an, a reaction. Um, it's not life-threatening. Um, many of the, um, the cases appear to be where there's been an infection. Uh, and when you actually read the stories, it is person, the story is actually, person with false widows in their house thinks they got bitten and arm got infected and they newly lost their arm, which is usually <laughs> exaggeration. But false widows are one of these spiders that keep themselves to themselves. You could have them in your house and not know. Yeah. Sorry, arachnophobes, that's probably keep you up at night now. Um, and yeah, they don't want to bite. They're the sort of thing you have to, generally you, you'd have to sort of um, pick them up and poke them or do something similar by accident. Um, and then they might bite. But I've got them in my house. I have two children and somehow we're all still alive. It's a miracle. Oh. <laughs> and the whole invasion thing is hilarious because they've been here over a hundred years. Uh, and where have they? How did they get here, and where were they um, from before that? They probably, I think they're they're found in Europe. They've just come across in you know imports from abroad and stuff like that, and um, they've just spread because our homes are nice uh, environments for them. Uh, they eat pest species, so they're eating all the flies and uh, you know woodlice aren't really a pest, but it can be a bit of annoyance. And uh, they'll take out other spiders, um, not as much as the you might, dead long legged spiders, which actually eat the false widows and those big house spiders as well. Um, but yeah, they're just—they're actually a benefit, if anything. I work with the public, and I—I I get questions about them all mm. the time. People have all sorts of yes crazy beliefs about them, and it just doesn't go away, does it? Mm. I mean, it's—it's it's a bit like um, these those daddy long legs spiders and daddy long legs and harvestmen. There's that stupid urban myth. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That they have the most dangerous bite in animal kingdom. If only. Yeah, but but their fangs are too small. Well, yeah. a daddy long leg spider has venom, but it's not that dangerous. A daddy long legs, the flying insect with long legs you get in September. The, the crane, has flies. No, crane flies. Has no mouth. 
or if it does, <laughs> it doesn't feed. Um, and harvest. It has them. a bit of yeah, 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 yeah. It does. Yeah, it has a vestigial mouth, I believe, if, if it has one at all. Um, and harvestmen, which is basically those little, they look like spiders with massive legs. Yeah, um, the little fat bodies but, and the huge yeah, long legs. Only yeah. one body part. Um, don't have fangs at all. They eat dead stuff. So basically, it's um, complete rubbish. Would be the polite way of putting it. Um, yes, I mean, staying with urban wildlife. I mean, you could go around the foxes as well. Um, yeah, do you hear? Do you, yeah, talk about talk about foxes. Yeah. I mean, Chris Packham basically outright said he doesn't believe the stories at all, or at least one of them. Um, I have to admit, I have my doubts on some of them. So what's what what has been the, claimed about foxes? Well, I think the first the original story. I can't remember how many years ago it was now. Um, was uh, a fox came in the East London, came in through an open back door, climbed up a set of stairs, went into the bedroom of two twins, but uh, I don't know if they're newborns or a few months old, and attacked both of them, which is quite a long story. Um, some people have pointed out that it was the same day this happened, was the same day um, uh, an uncle got sent down for his niece being killed by his pet dog, uh, one of these. Um, I don't want to say aggressive breeds because that's really misleading when people do that. But um, one of the breeds that are associated with um, <laughs> aggressive people, shall we say, because it's not fair. The breeds themselves aren't. It's, bad, just, it's bad dog owners. Yeah, bad dog owners. Yeah, with, yeah. Not, yeah. Not, not which dogs. tend to have certain breeds which are associated with being aggressive, shall we say, so staffs and stuff like that. Um, yes. Although a staff owner will quite rightly point out to you, the breed, breed itself is not aggressive. Yes, agreed. And um, I know some staffs myself. Um, and yeah, yeah. I can, I they can agree with that. Lovely cuddly things. <laughs> 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 although they do have, if they do get aggressive, they can be. Yes. Yeah, that, 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 that's the way to put it, yeah. yeah I mean, they've got a powerful bite, basically, is what it comes down to. Um, this is another false news thing, isn't it, really? Um, <laughs> they used ban in the breed, doesn't... No, we're, we're correcting myths left, right and centre yeah. here. Um, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, again, some people change it. Um, but foxes... Um, now, some people do feed foxes, um, and I'm not going to get into the big debate on that. Um, I think general consensus between most people um, who, who like wildlife is it's OK to feed foxes in moderation, um, but you should do it in a way that it doesn't make them tame. So, you know, you put the food out, come back inside and watch them or sit to the side so they don't use to humans. There are people, some even in public parks, that will literally get them hand tame, feed it from the hand, which of course is dangerous because if someone else tries it, uh, or they go up to someone else that's got food in their hand and they think they're getting fed, um, they can panic and someone gets bitten on the hand or something like that and then all hell breaks loose. Um, but this case where this fox has come in, the only way I could see that would have happened is if someone has sort of the hand reared one and released it, it advised in the middle of a town or it's wandered in. Because um, they do move, they can move sort of 40 miles, foxes. Yeah. This whole urban foxes can't survive without being fed is no, nonsense. I, as I've well. seen them in the centre of London mm. in the middle of the day. Yep, they're so, yeah. everywhere and they're they're mm. brave. They're not. Yeah. The number, see, this is another misinformation. They're saying the numbers have increased. Um, they've actually decreased in many areas um, due to outbreaks of mange. Um, they're not all mangy either. That's another misconception. Um, and means can can that do anything negative to you as a person? Um, no, and they, normally they catch the mange um, and other diseases off the pets rather than give them to the pets. There's oh. no, I don't think there's any proven of what I've read. There isn't any proven cases of them animals catching it. Uh, um, on the flip side, cats can give um, a, a disease to foxes, and quite often foxes are blamed for spreading it to the cats. But because of the nature of the parasite, it can't complete its life cycle in the fox, so it can't pass it back to the cats. Um, that can actually make the foxes tame as well. I believe, uh, I can't remember if it's Toxocaris or Toxoplasmis, one of the two, uh, but that can also be dangerous to us. So the cats, arguably cats and dogs are more dangerous to us, which brings me <laughs> nicely to the little study I did on, um, I basically took, there was, um, I think it was five, six fox attacks 
in a six-month period reported. Now, first of all, I assume they're all correct, which, um, <laughs> should we say, is not necessarily a scientific way of doing it, but you're, I, you're I, bi- it I biased it against a fox, to prove my point. Um, and then uh, I looked at the NHS figures for um, fox attacks, uh, bites by foxes, uh, sorry, bites by dogs, sorry, bites by cats, bites by humans, plotted them all, um, and I forget the exact figures. Bites by humans. Yes, you are something like, ah, oh, I should have looked it up. I have actually got it on my website somewhere. Um, you're something like 30 times more likely to be bitten by another human being. This is an adult, <laughs> not children, like, you know, babies biting, um, than a fox. And it's something like three or four, 300 times more likely by a dog. And, you know, and that's assuming that those fox attacks actually happened. And um, nobody is talking about um, but banning dogs. No, except, well, some are. <laughs> but yeah, like, and cats. Um, I mean that's a whole other matter of cats and wildlife, but let's go. That's another for another day. Um, the and and one one fun moment was when the Countryside Alliance were debating Chris Packham on Breakfast News on this, um, and he actually quoted me directly on wow. those stats. So where did you where are these available? Can we yes, they're put on a the, link to them. They're on my website. Yeah, we'll put a link on it. There's a there's a page on my blog. Um, if I haven't, if it's not on the current one, I'll make sure I put it on there. But um, yeah, you can see you can see the maths I've done behind it. I explained all why. Um, it's not 100 scientific, but it gives you an idea of you know this the hyperbole. The reason they are news is because they happen so rarely. Yes, uh, it's a bit like shark attacks. You know, oh. I mean, what was it? You're Some... more likely to be trampled by donkeys yeah. than uh, any number of ridiculous yeah, things. Yeah. I mean, horses are far more dangerous than yes, a, yeah. a shark. Um, and I just absolutely love the attitude that surfers, the whole surfing groups have, which is we're in their environment. If we get attacked, it's our fault. Um, and there was is that um, quite common among surfers? Yes, I think, I think if you, you look, there was a case a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, they're not getting into politics too much. But in Australia, they have the whole um, when someone gets killed by a shark, the mayor sees it as a can, you know a good opportunity to have a campaign. Right. Uh, to, to, they go out eradicating all the sharks they can find. Not going to find the one that attacked the person. No. Um, and the mother of the person that was killed said no, he would not have wanted this. You know, he nice. believes that well, I was in his environment. I thought that was very, a very good of her, and b what a lovely attitude to have, you know, and and that's the attitude we have to take with a lot of these things. I mean, yeah. um, you go out, um, if you go running through a grass meadow where you know there's adders, or let your dog do it, um, you're kind of asking for trouble, really. That adder doesn't doesn't want to bite you. There's another one, adders. Um, that adders do not want to bite you. In fact, if you walk heavily, you can't get anywhere near them generally, unless something's wrong with them or they're cornered, or um, and they usually sit near where there's cover. Um, and some geese. Oh, geese, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, that's probably the next scare story. Geese attacking children. Well, geese are kind of scary. They are actually aggressive. Actually, I think I'm more worried, especially when you're a man, because geese tend to be a certain height. And if they peck you, that can be quite painful. Trust me. Indeed. Um, so, you could go into swans breaking people's arms again, which is nonsense. Um, swans breaking arms. I know. Do you don't know this one? No, I don't. You really? Oh, wow. Maybe it's a British thing then. Um, there's a, an urban myth that uh, when a swan swaps, it flaps its wings, it can break your arm. Wow. It's so powerful. It's complete nonsense. The, sw- the swan will break. Break its arm. I wonder, I feel like a lot of these things come from mm. our, we, we're just completely unwilling to share our landscape yes, with anything that we ha- don't have complete mm. control over. So we're, we're fine with dogs and cats and cattle and, and domesticated animals and no matter how dangerous they might be yep. or no matter what the stats might be, we're, no one's ever going to really seriously question doing making a big change with those. No. But then anything that's a remnant of, of, of the wild systems yeah. that were there before we just absolutely the gates come down we just can't deal with it like the the, the beavers yes I mean there's a lot of information around them isn't so there? beavers have been reintroduced to 
parts of Essex where we are yeah. and other parts of the UK, but they Scotland. Have to be in, but they have to, in order to keep everyone or the landowners happy, they have to keep them in a cage. So they're not fully released. They're, they're, I suppose yeah, they are captive, really. They're, in, a, they're in an area. In an enclosure, aren't they? Well, I think you, you told me about this, so you, you can say yeah. a bit more about it. But didn't you say that... Um, there, there were some initial releases in a controlled manner, yeah. in a scientific manner, and then there have been other kinds well, of releases too. What hap- what's happened is there's, um, I think it was at Napdow they started it, and there's one in um, there's one in Devon, one in Kent, one in Essex, there's one in Yorkshire now, where they're basically, um, to keep the landowners happy and prove the point, um, they're keeping the beavers in a big enclosure to let them act naturally, not intervening really in any way, um, and just seeing what they do to the stream or the river or the lake that they, um, uh, they because they're basically engineers, environmental engineers. They're a keystone species. They make habitat. So a lot of them, oh, they cut down all the trees. No, they coppice trees, you know, which is what humans have done for <laughs> yeah. years. Yeah. And willow and alder actually grows better when it's coppice, probably because in nature there'll be beavers. Um, and this creates sort of, scrubby habitats which is great for nesting birds and they build dams not the huge great ones because these are european beavers not the american species which is different don't go to huge dams um so they don't flood massive areas they do flood areas but i think one stream in devon um, they put beavers on um, and there was one clump of frog spawn and i think within five years there was sort of 300 two 300 clumps which is just as one species um unfortunately there's lots of groups um, like farming groups don't want them flooding their land so where's Arguably, they shouldn't be farming right up to the edge of a river because of soil erosion and and that that speaks to me. Like. That's the big problem here. Yeah. Is is we so beavers do make big changes in the landscape, and mm. I I've seen that in North America. As you yeah. say, they they do create bigger dams. They do create more flooding. But mm. we're not we we need so much control yeah. over over the landscape, and we we need control over every bit of it. We're not willing to say, okay, yeah. we're not going to farm right up to the edge yeah. of the river for all kinds of. We should be. I mean, yeah. a floodplain is a floodplain for a reason. Yeah. And and where I'm from in Cork, in, in the, even in the city and the suburbs, there's any number of examples where they've just ignored this and they've built right up to, yeah. um, up to rivers, and they wonder then why there's flooding. Yeah. And it's Somerset levels in the UK is a classic. Oh, stop. That, yeah. So there's this unwillingness to accept that we live within a system mm. where we need other things besides just us, and we're not happy. Like as soon as one species comes back that is beyond mm. our control, we're it's, up in arms about some it. Some of the articles I've seen on beavers is absolutely extraordinary. Um, the, I mean, the NFU, National Farmers Union, um, are generally quite anti-wildlife and conservation anyway. They just get, they're not even, um, you could argue, they're not even pro-farming, they're pro-rich landowners. They want grants for stuff, for doing basically nothing, or stuff they're doing already to make money. Um, you know, pro, they seem to campaign massively on fox hunting, which doesn't really help farming, it's just a fun activity, but well, for them, um, not for the fox. Um, interestingly, those fox stories always seem to, fox tax stories, that is, always seem to come up when um, they want, there's talk of bringing, taking the ban away from fox hunting. In the UK, fox hunting's banned with dogs, supposedly. It's not really enforced and there's lots of loopholes and that's a whole other matter. Um, but going back to the beavers, I mean, um, there's, uh, the Angling Trust have a, have a handy web page which summarises all the anti-beaver I'm going to call it nonsense because that's what it is. Um, they talk about causing massive floods, which is the American species. You know, when you get a huge dam and then it breaks, it can cause a flood. Um, they talk about them stopping fish migration. Well, for until 400 years ago, we had beavers in this country. <laughs> and so funnily ha- enough, the fish yeah. and, um, <laughs> got where they needed to go. Um, yeah, because it, it's not as a big a barrier as, say, a massive weir, which we have at the moment. Um, 
there's ways around you can you can um, you can manage the beavers. If we introduce them, there's no predators, which is a good argument. And I hate to say it, but we will have to manage them somehow, whether that's shooting yeah, them yeah. or moving them to other areas. And that's I'm not fun. against the, in theory, yeah. um, uh, the the creation of a kind of a hunting culture yeah. as part, that can be carefully yeah. managed as part of that uh, can not, work, and I've seen it work because um, on the River Tay in Scotland, uh, somebody has released them. Um, unauthorized um it's not just yeah and they um the farmers were basically having a field day and just shooting them because there's no protection on them although they're legally protection under eu law um the scottish you can apply yes yeah, government the, immediately said you can apply for yeah a well before that the scottish government dragged their heels and then they said oh we've protected it oh but you can apply for license and apparently it's so easy to oh, every get. single yes every, every single, farmer's got it and so that every single application was granted well, thankfully beavers breed quite rapidly which is uh, <laughs> yeah, they do um but um one of the my favourite um, problems quoted was um, that they can bring in oh, I forget the disease its name um, it's a parasite um, that could more likely be brought in by a dog or a cat that's picked up in Europe on the, on a passport you know on a passport because there's no quarantine for them um, whereas the beavers that are brought into this country from say Germany are in quarantine for weeks if not months um, and uh, I've, I've been to see the quarantine thing at uh, Wildwood in Kent. Uh, near Canterbury, well worth a visit by the way. Yeah. Um, so it's got lots of native animals, um, and yeah, they're, they're what they have to leap through. And I mentioned that to them, and the keeper just laughed and just <laughs> said, "Yeah, they, they, it's not like we're just bringing them in and just releasing them. They're, they are carefully quarantined, checked. They don't want to introduce a poorly beaver into a, yeah. a new population, so that was wow. nonsense. Um, and my favourite thing about the man about them damaging fish stocks is." Um, Numerous studies have now shown that beaver dams are actually fantastic fish nurseries. So, if anything, <laughs> it will help the fish. And there's various other things. I mean, it's funny the farmers, not all farmers, I should mention, there's some very good farmers, forward thinking, stuff like that. I, don't, I hate to generalise the whole group. Um, it does tend to be sort of wealthy landowners um, wanting control of, and again, not even all of those, but certain wealthy landowners wanting full control over what they can do on their land seems to be a bit of an issue. Um, well, we. We live in yeah. one of the most sanitized, in terms yeah. of wildlife, you know, the most mm -hmm. controlled landscapes in the world, yeah. where like we have utter control over almost every bit of it. Yeah. And still, when one tiny little aspect mm. of wildlife comes back that we, we don't have control over, we just hit the roof. Yet we have millions of sheep and we release 40 million non-native pheasants every year. <laughs> and they object to a few beavers. And, and you should see what happens when you mention lynx. I oh mean, my um, days. Um, when you get, uh, I have seen it on their other, sort of within hunting groups but I remember there was a really good article in BBC Wildlife they asked all the major political parties um, what their policies were on certain environmental things and they mentioned links reintroduction and it was really funny how you had um, I think Labour was kind of oh yes well, well we'll have to look at that Green were yeah let's go for it it'd be great control dear Conservatives are all oh, no we have our concerns and then UKIP was they'll eat people <laughs> and uh, which by the way there's never been a documented I don't think there's a single documented of a wild one attacking a person even wolves in europe there's very few if any proven ones um obviously there would be issues with sheep and stuff like that but lynx generally predate deer which, yeah. and um uh, there are too many deer in this country um most of the species are non-native for a start um, <laughs> and they wipe out the the vegetation in woodlands and stuff like that in some areas where there's too many um and yeah, cause all sorts of issues. Um, so really, we need to have some predation. But of course, if you bring in a predator, then there's less call to shoot them. And people that like shooting them will not have the excuse to do it. So I do wonder sometimes, um, not to say, again, I shouldn't generalise all hunters being these bloodthirsty, horrible people. No, no um, not at all. I do actually 
I'm, actually, oh, I'm friends with them. It sounds like it's that, that classic excuse, isn't it? <laughs> I can be mean about them. But um, yeah, uh, some of them have more knowledge of wildlife than I do. So, you know, you have to appreciate their view, but some of them just come across. There are some interesting well. contradictions in the American system. I worked yeah. at a few places mm. and I worked on sites where we did host um, limited hunting at certain mm. times of the year. And I do have time for the idea that you can, you can have a system where hunting, yeah. as a lot of pro hunting advocates will say, it's, it's a, it provides an economic stimulus yeah. to keep wild areas yeah. to some degree. And, and there, you know, mm. without that reason, they, there's every reason to believe mm. that they might just be cleared and, and developed. And, but it also, like the, the DNR, the Department of Natural Resources in America, who control all that ultimately, mm. they're under so much pressure from, from very powerful lobbies yeah. to, it, it goes into dark places quite quickly. Um, yeah. So like white-tailed deer is the main thing that they hunt there. Yeah. And they're everywhere. There's too many of them, same as here, right? Yeah. And they, 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 they're not, okay, so they're managed, the numbers, ultimately the numbers are managed by hunting, but the DNR obviously is, is, doesn't want those numbers to get too low. No. Or the, the lobbies kick off and then they have to go authorize shooting more wolves or something. Yeah, because where it gets silly is when they then start shooting the predators to boost the number of things to yeah, shoot. And they, they'll, ignore the, they'll ignore the fact that there's just been two bad winters or yeah. any, any other reason. It's like, nope. The lot because the lobbies are so powerful that yeah. so in a way same in this country they're keeping the these abnormally high numbers of invasive species yeah. as you I mean in, in Britain a lot of the species are not from here and in the US a lot of the white-tailed deer are way their range has expanded yeah like they used to be only in parts of the south you know 200 yeah. years ago and it's basically because we've messed everything up <laughs> yeah. most problems in, in in nature come down to is humans have messed it up you know I when people talk about rewilding and they talk about bringing back these top predators i'm just you're talking about lynx and, and, and wolves and stuff i just i feel like what's the point to me in putting these back into a system yeah that well, is not suitable we until our mindset changes yeah. and we're and, we're and that, yeah and persecution of them yeah the inevitable persecution which, that's what's going to happen which brings us nicely on to driven grouse moors i think hooray let's go hey, let's go there uh, this is a rich source of misinformation um uh for the last well i've, I've been aware of it probably for the last 10 years I was aware of it as a, a kid I remember reading in um, BBC Wildlife magazine there's a, I think it was the Langham Moor project um, they were talking about basically um, hen harriers are a bird of prey found on moor habitat in the UK mainly um, and they do predate uh, red grouse um, and they did a study years ago and they found that if they put out diversionary feeding which is you know perhaps some dead rabbits or rats they'll take them rather than the grouse but um, in the UK, there's a, a thing called driven grouse shooting. So rather than people walking around um, shooting, you know, quite sustainably, they basically, it's a monoculture of heather. They yes. burn the heather. Um, we'll come on to all that stuff. Um, and um, they've, they've started doing things like they put in agricultural roads so they can drive people that pay tens of thousands of pounds, certainly thousands of pounds um, a day to go. And they sit in these um, stone huts um, and they get hire a load of beaters uh, and they push all the birds towards them and they just blast at them all um, and that requires really high densities of grouse so high that you get problems with disease so they have to medicate grit out so oh. you've got drugs out on the you know um, and as part of this management um, they have to um, they shoot thousands of mountain hares um, oh. mountain hares one study showed they are at one percent the level they were at or should be at um, and it's not maintained. It is a there's a voluntary code on which everyone just ignores, um, and 
So this is all stuff coming from the conservationist side. And, um, and they, but they portray themselves, wouldn't they, as saying, well, we are preserving wilderness yeah. because otherwise if we weren't, yeah. this hunting didn't exist, mm. then this area would just be yeah. farmed. And it's like, okay, but people don't know what wilderness they is. To. They look at this monoculture and they think, oh, that's that's wonderful, but it's yeah. a, it's an ecological desert. Well, a lot of people like me, um, I mean, I, I don't understand the whole, certainly driven grass shooting, where you just stand there blasting at things. I don't see any, if you like slowly stalk something, you can shoot it. I mean, as a photographer, I, I do similar, but obviously I don't kill the animal. I'm not well, going to you, you've got to have respect for yeah, someone who I'm can respect. actually... I know, the, the, the hunters I know will, um, or shooters, not hunters, that's a bad weapon, it's a very American weapon, the shooters <laughs> I know, um, if, shooters, if, yeah, if, yeah, if yeah, a pheasant yeah. comes up in front of him, um, he won't even lift his gun up because yeah. there's no sport in shooting that where you know stuff like that. I mean it's not, nothing that appeals to me personally but I kind of get it um, but a lot of these people they're driving up there are people that have come up um, it's funny because they use the argument that townies don't understand have come up from London with their company and they're just blasting away um, probably some of them never held a gun before um, and you hear all this stuff oh well if they're doing something um, some of them have been drinking oh, really? like I mean there's cases where people you know beaters have been shot and stuff like that but this is a whole other issue um and it's sort of portrayed as this grand tradition, but it really isn't. It's just, it's just a way to make lots of money for someone. Um, they also get um, a set, uh, quite a lot of money um, from the government, from us, the taxpayer, to maintain these grouse moors. Um, in fact, when all the cuts were happen happening um, in the early, uh, was it 2010, 2011, that sort of time, um, they actually doubled the amount going to grouse moors per acre. And you're just thinking, that's madness. Um, but the whole thing about this, and obviously you can imagine a lot of conservationists, um, basically birds of prey just seem to disappear over grouse moors. Um, the North York moors is the Bermuda Triangle <laughs> for birds of prey. They just fly over it, I think it's satellite tags, and the satellite tags just stop working. Funny, isn't it? Um, and uh, obviously a lot of people started getting, this isn't right, you know. And we knew they were getting shot, bodies were turning up, you know, shot and poisoned, illegal poisons, all kinds of things. Um, so the RSPB, um, people, some people call them for a ban on driven grouse shooting. There's been a couple of petitions. One reached 100,000. There's one running right now. It's at 75,000. Do sign it if you, if I convince you of these arguments. Um, and yeah, the RSVB thought, well, that's enough's enough. They didn't call for a ban. They called sort of a middle ground for licensing. So if someone misbehaves, they lose a license and they can't run driven grouse more, is the idea. Um, and it hasn't gone through. But the grouse, the grouse industry, rather than root out all these, what they call the um, the the minority of gamekeepers that are, since the gamekeepers run these moors and maintain them, that are shooting these birds of prey, um, they launched a full-scale attack on the RSVB with a website called You Forgot About the Birds, and I had Ian Botham front it, and the Telegraph um, have links to grouse shooting, shall we say, and Ian Botham. So <laughs> Ian Botham, the cricketer, that the, the cricketer, he's a big, he owns, I don't think he owns a grouse moor, but he's a big shooting advocate. Um, and they released this website and conservationists and, and people like me just ripped it apart. It had all sorts of um, misleading things on it. Um, like they had pictures of an Indian eagle owl, um, <laughs> uh, an American wren. They moaned about the RTV not helping with chicken welfare when they're a conservation body, not animal welfare. Um, why don't they use muscovy ducks um, to, you know, you know, ugly birds? But well, muscovy duck is a domestic species. Well, certainly not native to the UK. Yeah, it's South American, isn't it? It's South American. I don't even know if they're actually a wild bird or, you know, um, fully. They're usually found in domestic situations, put it that way, these days. Um, and yeah, all sorts of nonsense on there. Um, and they had uh, lots of things in it. And but people did start. Uh, they did attack the RTB and did start um, 
losing members because of it because they just it was loads of rubbish. Um, but Ian Botham actually started being a bit of a problem for him because he started saying stuff like people go in. Um, but scientists say this, and he'd say on this is on Twitter. He'd go, what does scientists know about the countryside? He started doing oh, this townie yeah, versus. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't you come, you intellectuals, don't yeah, you come yeah, out how, here and tell me how to, yeah, how to live. Um, and it's really funny. And they started pointing out that the the RSVP had secretly been controlling crows and foxes on some of their reserves. Controlling them. Yeah. So they were shooting them, and killing them. Oh right. But, I, for some reason, yeah, I was thinking yeah, about like yeah, my yeah, brain went down conspiracy yeah. road. I was but, thinking of like. Electronic, yeah, yeah. and they do. Control. Um, but what, what they, they missed out was the fact that um, they uh, published this data openly on their website every year with a summary. Um, and also, their policy isn't to shoot first and ask questions later, like the Lone Star Grouse Moors seem to do, because um, they will whole scale wipe out all the stoats, foxes, crows, um, and dare I say it, bird of prey, which is illegal in some cases. Um, and yeah, so they had to go to the RSPB, and a lot of people were outraged by this because they made out that they were hiding it, but the RSPB weren't hiding it, and they explained why. And the RSPB policy is actually to do it as a last resort. So they'll try predator fences, they'll try deterrents and scares, but if you've got a species that's only got three nests in in a small area because of our activity and habitat destruction and stuff like that, those nests are critical, so you need to protect them. Um, if you have a sort of 40 or 50 in an area, um, then they, you know, if you lose a few predators, it's not a problem, but you can be wiped out by one fox, basically, if it's only a few nests. So, personally, I think it's justified. But interestingly, they then attack them for not doing enough to, to control these predators as well. Um, but Ian Botham, um, they, they, they tried to check out this website. Um, it's quite funny. They, it's completely different looking to uh, when they launched it now because there were so many errors on it. Um, they teamed up with this uh, PR specialist who's, who's quite good at um, spinning things, shall we say, um, and he's actually been boasting about it, you know, in public, how he spun all the stuff. And oh, they asked me to do this up, but I, I made sure that this, this bit was emphasised. But Ian Bofen, um, uh somewhat shot them in the foot, got them shot in the foot a little bit, because uh, they, um, he went on Radio 4, I think it was, because they had this brilliant idea to help with the food, short, you know, and all these, um, uh, what do you call food banks. Uh, if, if everyone bought a... Um, a pheasant curry or a red grouse curry or stuff like that, they give one to a food bank. Um, it never took off, unfortunately, because the lead levels in grouse means um, that they, they, I believe oh, this is why they can't actually can't eat them. You, can't eat, you, you can choose to eat them, but you can't give them to food banks and stuff like that. Um, and um, the, the, the interviewer, interviewer who, who was a woman, which it, I hate to you know, bring it up, um, but he did sound like there's a little bit of uh, mansplaining with him going on with her. Right. Um, and then accused her of ambush journalism because she simply asked him about the um, effects of grouse shooting and the birds of prey being shot and stuff like this. And he went he went ballistic on her. The other host had to intervene wow. um, to calm him down. Um, and it just, just, you know, and he disappeared until recently. He didn't, uh, they, they kept him out of the public eye on that matter for a while. But um, yeah, but there's a whole load of stuff going on. So you probably imagine What's been happening is in recent years is they've been satellite tagging hen harrier chicks and golden eagle chicks, um, and one stud and the satellite tags. What they do is uh, quite often the bird will fly over a grouse moor, having been flying around happily for months, and the satellite tag will stop working. Now that suggests that it's been killed, um, and a satellite tag um, destroyed with it. Um, and now. The, you can imagine some of these hunting organisations, there's people like Countryside Alliance, um, 
British Association for Shooting and Conservation. They've all added conservation to their name recently. It's quite interesting. <laughs> Makes uh, them sound a little. Yeah. Is that is that what you call greenwashing? Is yeah, that? Oh, maybe. Um, green, low, low, low level greenwashing, yeah. perhaps. Um, Gamekeepers Association and um, Game Wildlife Conservation Trust is another one. Are they? They're not, well, they're they're an interesting group as well because they do do some good science, but the political side of them is a bit interesting, shall we say? Um, but they, uh, it's quite interesting. All this st a study run by the Scottish government, say independent and peer reviewed, found a third of all juveniles were disappearing over grass moors. Or this is of golden eagles, um, which is not good. So you know, you think they take a few years to mature. That that's not very good recruitment, right? Um, and so that, but all these organisations I just mentioned started try to blame various things. They said the satellite tags were unreliable and quoted a study showing that they're unreliable. Okay, great. And then you looked into it, and the ones that were failing the most were the ones on sea turtles that were dying because of saltwater inundation. So yeah. that's not going to unless they're thinking the sea eagles, uh, sea, uh, sorry, not sea eagles, golden eagles or hen harriers are diving <coughs> to the sea, um, which we'll come to in a minute actually. Um, and the thing is, when these satellite tags go wrong, they start malfunctioning, and you start seeing the signs of it before they go off. They don't just bang, stop. Um, and they were saying that they were some of the seagulls. See, I keep saying seagulls because I see uh, some of the hen harriers um, uh, were di just flying out to the sea. You know, youngsters getting a bit lost and dying. And that actually happened. I think one flew off the Isle of Man, um, fell in the sea, but the tag kept working. And I think they even picked the body up from the beach. You know, when it washed up or from the near shore. Now, interestingly, around the same time as this, um, a hen, hen harrier tag stopped, work, stopped transmitting on a grouse moor, and I can't remember exactly how long, it was a day or two after, appeared in the sea off the east coast of Scotland. Um, I don't think they recovered that one. Um, Not suspicious but, at all. Well, but what makes it even more interesting is this uh, grouse moor was, um, a, you know, a fair bit of distance from the sea. These tags have a mobile phone um, transmitter in as well so they can say roughly where they are and the route coming off of that it was still transmitting so and it followed the A9 the road to the A9 <laughs> and that fits with someone killing a hen harrier we can never say for sure what happened it, but the evidence fits with someone um, something happens to hen harrier maybe they just found it dead who knows um, stuck it in a box to stop the satellite transmitter out of the kindness of the yeah, hen of the council <laughs> And then took it out um, to a friend with a boat to give it a burial at sea, which is very thoughtful of them. Yeah, very, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, so that 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 fact, and they were all about, you know, up in ourselves. See, look, they're in the sea. And then that, when all that came out, was, and the response now has been because this evidence of satellite tags is so damning, and the British Association for Shooting and Conservation have um, demanded that all satellite tag data is monitored independently. So still, they they can they publicly condemn anyone killing birds of prey but are against any form of licensing and stuff like that. I mean, recently, um, a gamekeeper was convicted. He was found keeping a, a, a Eurasian eagle out in bad conditions. And then he uh, recently was convicted of killing tens of animal, hedgehogs, birds of prey. He had a massive stink feet, which is where they kill animals. And um, what they do is they kill loads of animals, put them in a pit, and they put loads of snares around it to catch any predators that come in to get it. Um, and they also, and yeah, he he got away with a community service order, and he killed, he must have killed tens, not hundreds of animals, many of them illegally, um, and yeah, I think a lot of people were exasperated by it. So the crimes don't fit the punishment. <laughs> oh, punishment don't fit the crime would be a way of putting it, wouldn't it? Um, but it's just, yeah, it's really unnerving. Uh, but all these groups just seem to 
be trying to rather than do something about the problem undermine the source I mean recent attacks on Chris Packham yep. Mark Avery uh, he had like cr- dead crows oh, yeah. nailed to his yeah. gates and stuff and there was a bit of misinformation basically they went to Natural England because people were using a thing called a general licence where you can control crows for pest control reasons like crows wood pigeons various things like that and they were using these licences to take people out for paid shoots so they went to the court um, and the court ruled in their favour which probably surprised even though they were right probably surprised them a bit and then Natural England is something Rather than say, right, we'll sort this out, I can't remember if Natural England decided to do it or the court made them do it, um, they instantly just cancelled all the general licensing. Of course, now all um, Game Wildlife Conservation Trust and stuff um, said, oh, well, now that means we can't protect our crops, we can't do any conservation. But the general licence, um, if you're doing it for con- general, um, genuine conservation reasons, was still very easy to get. So the RSVB, and they, all these shooting organisations were like, oh, the RSVB can't conserve now, and the RSVB went, no, we're fine. There's no problem with this. We're quite happy to have it, actually. Um, and they basically turned Chris Packer, Mark Avery, and Ruth Dungry into the devil and yeah. all sorts of organisations. Chris Packer was getting death threats. Yeah. He got a piece of wood with a penis drawn on it sent to him in the post. Dead crows hung yeah. out his outside his house. Of course, all the shooting organisations said, oh, he's, do, he's, he's, he's making it up. He's doing it himself. Um, the, the bit of wood with the willy drawn on was quite funny because he <laughs> sold it for three grand to fund more um, court action against these groups. Nice. And illegal practices, um, which is quite funny. Um, and interestingly, um, maybe it's not uh, fake news, but certainly controlling the news, um, they were booked to talk and defend themselves at a thing called Game Fair, which is, um, you know, lots of farming and shooting groups have a big fair and talk about killing things and the best ways and stuff like that, I guess, and best guns to buy. Um, they were booked, and then at the last minute, they were uninvited, and then the, the event is run by British Association for Shooting Conservation, Basque. Um, they were actually banned from attending the event entirely, which was hilarious because it's a massive shot in the foot because it makes them look like they're running scared, which basically they were. Because um, they, you know, they can't handle the truth, as the saying goes. Um, but it's, it's, it's the whole... It's, the problem with this is there's so much politics mixed up with it. And, um, you know, I don't agree with everything Chris Packham says, but he usually backs it up with peer-reviewed science. So... Um, unlike a lot of the stuff they say. I mean, um, grouse moors have come under pressure as well. Uh, one of the problems I have with it is they burn masses of heather. So you're stopping um, large areas of woodland forming again, which is what was there to start with. Um, yes, it does help with conservation of certain wader species, um, but let's not pretend that's why they're really doing it. I'm sure some do actually do it to help, but um, as someone once said to me, um, if it turned out that curlew carried a disease that... Um, <laughs> Uh, harmed grouse numbers that they'd be wiped out quicker than you could drop a hat um, yeah it's yeah it's sad I mean shooting can work very well with conservation there's no I, I will not argue that at all it's just does it in the UK in many cases and driven grouse moors there's lots of issues with the lack of trees for causing flooding downstream um, burning of blanket bogs releasing lots of CO2 yeah um, and yeah, it's. I mean, in Yorkshire, they found that a lot of the flooding in Yorkshire was fingers pointed at the grouse moors because they they dig huge channels to make sure the you know the heather grows and not bog because um, it's more food for the grouse. Um, and the water just rushes. There's no trees to slow it down. The water rushes down. The first town it hits, it causes flooding. Especially when you have, which is made worse by the heavy rain. You know, it's 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 not just caused by the grouse moors. Let's be fair. Um, but also, water quality suffers as well. Um, where beavers can help with that actually but that's another issue but uh, 
yeah there's and so this there's a peer-reviewed study showing a lot of this stuff to be true um and in response they, there's another study came out um but it was funded by the grouse industry and not peer-reviewed and ripped to shreds by most experts this is the problem isn't it yeah. is that we say oh we respect for example chris packham because he uses science scientific articles to back yeah. up what he said for the layperson, yeah it, it can be very easily made to look to them as yeah. if oh well the alternative case also has yeah. Uh, yeah. some backing and yeah. look how much time it takes yeah. to actually tear, yeah. take these things apart and Lots find out where is the information coming from who's funding it yeah. um, and i mean the mainstream scientific establishment isn't spotless no, either I was say, even peer review papers can yeah. be a bit there's problems there too so yeah. it, again this is where it all fits into fake news for me which is like this fracturing of any sort of yeah. central agreed upon narrative into well my i have my truth and you have yours and yeah. mine is as good as yours and mm. it that's kind of where we're heading with all this isn't and it? there's a lot of this sort of anti-establishment like they're lying to you i mean um I mean, if we go away from conservation and go into paleontology, there's... Um, oh. <laughs> so, so we say less than mainstream theories. I mean, um, if you go on the internet now and search for some obscure um, extinct reptile, there's a good chance you'll go to end up a website called reptileevolution.com, which is uh, a website owned by a paleoartist um, called uh, David Peters. Um, and he has some interesting theories, shall we say. He's... Um, there's a, a thing site called cladistics where you compare um, for very simply dumb it down probably a bit too much um, you look at all the features on a creature and put them into a computer and the computer um, aligns the creatures um, so we come at a bit it's basically the family tree of life as to how uh, closely related, how closely related things are and what's is it like taxonomy done by com done by probability uh, yeah, statistics yeah, statistics yeah, it, is, it is really yeah so we'd come up close to the apes because um uh, we've got similar shaped skulls, and uh, you know. Does it is this does this involve DNA or is it just physical? It can involve DNA, but of course, with fossils, it's purely oh, yeah. um, physical physical features. Um, and he's come up with some really interesting things. Um, this is compounded, so he's done his own cladistic trees, but he does them far too big, and and um, and. But what what it, the root of this is? He uses um, a t a technique that he's invented called um, digital graphic segregation where he takes a photo of the fossil so he's not actually got the actual fossil in front of him um, does some manipulation with it I think he plays with the contrast and stuff like that um, I don't think he's ever really explained exactly what he does um, but he'll have say have a fossil of a um, pterosaur um, with soft body preservation and he'll play around with it and he claims to see baby pterosaurs clinging to the adult um, and I often wondered how, and I sort of a bit more research, he claims the babies don't have ossified bones. They don't, they're not as obvious. Um, that means they don't have hard parts on the bone. Is what, I guess he's assuming they're made out of cartilage or something. Cartilage, yeah. Um, and there's people that have the fossil in front of them and looking at them going, I can't see this. So um, he's trying to pretend, like that would put, if, if they don't have true bone, if they only have, that would put them in a completely different group. Well, I've, I think some... Like no, I don't know, because some vertebrates, I think, do start off with lightly ossified. Yeah, but yeah, early in their development. Yeah, but I think it'd be unlikely. It's it's quite extravagant. He's, he has all sees all sorts of features, like huge great crests, and um, the tailless pterosaurs actually have tails. And basically, he's saying all the scientists have missed this, 
which then fits into his narrative. Except me. Except me. <laughs> I found this. Which fits into his narrative of, oh, they're all against me. It's a conspiracy. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's such conspiracy thinking. And it yeah. doesn't matter if it's like... Yeah, craziness. Any, any, we're talking about, we're in the scientific realm now, but like it's exactly the same thinking. It's just like us versus them. Yeah. This big, deep state. I'm an ex-Galileo. They're, they all they all argue yeah, with Galileo, and he yeah. turned out to be right. And, yeah. Um, and, but unfortunately, some of this it it can get a bit nasty. Some of the things he he um he once took one of Darren Nash's blog posts and copied and pasted it, and well, in his mind, tore it apart. But it was all awful. And anyone who tries to engage him and say, um, because as a photographer and a paleontologist, I had a slightly unique perspective on this DDS thing, um, that, uh, which basically involved sort of manipulating photos and just said I can take a picture of a bird I've taken with a bush behind it and if I crank up the contrast enough I can start seeing shapes in the background some people rather oh. um, maybe I would say harshly but uh, I was going to say amusingly um, <laughs> call it magic eye yeah um, magic eye pictures ma- magic yeah. eye pictures but well, that's pareidolia isn't it that's just mm. the human tendency to see patterns in random data yeah. which we all have we do it with sound we do it with, with images yeah but the big problem with him is um the way he's set up his website is that it comes up quite high if not top um thing on google searches and there's actually been cases where people have done presentations with using his images and um, quoting him and it's kind of and so it's spreading misinformation basically and it's is uh, he entirely operating outside of the yes he has tried to be published like does he go to conferences he does apparently go to them apparently he's quite nice but is he is he only at fringe conferences or is he at the regular regular ones he's gone to regular ones he can't be that outside i mean for him for him then to claim that he's being shot out by this this is the the elite closed door society these ivory tower muckety mucks you know, like it is a bit laughable. Is it's, he? Is he? Is he got one foot in both camps, or is he off on his own island where he's just selling stuff to his own followers? You know, I don't know. If, who knows? I mean, um, I can think of. Uh, who knows if he's doing the same? I can think of a, a photographer that likes to attack other photographers' ethics, um, and he has been proper nice. I've I've been on the end of one. Um, he he doesn't believe that you should ever use flash or feed animals to get photos, um, and I merely pointed out to him that on one of his workshops um, involves um, feeding an animal. But, of course, it's a special circumstance for him. Um, but what uh, I've heard stories of him um, posting online and then these weird accounts popping up to... Um, oh, that's what, that's what you call sock puppets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to defend him. Support, support him and defend him. And, <laughs> I mean, that goes on all the time on Twitter. I mean, all the Russian bots in Brexit and all that kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. But, um, yes, there's some interesting... Goings on, should we say? In Let's all talk walks. about um, Brian Stable. Is that his name? Stableford, Stable, the 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 sauropod guy, the underwater sauropod oh, guy. Oh yes, um, Brian, Brian Ford. Ford. Brian, Brian Ford. Ford. I'm yes. thinking of Stable oh, Ford. Crikey, That's what yes. I'm yes, he's he's an interesting. If one. I may say, as as someone with a scientific background, but who's been out of research for a long time, mm. you know, I'll sometimes pick up uh, a pop science book, you know, yeah. and and have a look and be going. Oh, and I saw this guy's book. In, in Waterstones actually and it looked as oh. you know it looks interesting and again like you know because it it's presented yep. in a scientific looking way in, in, a, in a respectable environment I don't have time to go and find out no. if this guy is rated or if he's legit if he's operating well, within the system but turns out <laughs> interesting he, he is obviously someone that knows the right people um, he, he, he's, he's, he strikes me as a who well you know connected. Of, yeah, who you know rather than what you know. And I do wonder if he knows what he's saying is complete and utter 
Oh, you think so? He might believe it. He might, he might genuinely believe no. this. Um, he portrays, basically, what he thinks is uh, dinosaurs were aquatic, which they are too heavy to live on land. It's a very old-fashioned idea. Yeah. But he portrays it as his brand new theory. But he, he's reviving an unfashionable yeah. theory. That's what yeah. he's doing. Yeah, but he, he sort of portrays it as his, you know, I'm right and all the other scientists are wrong. Um, there's something interesting going on because he's obviously got friends in the publishing world because I wrote, uh, I, I don't think I even wrote anything. I think I proved the reviews criticising it on Amazon and disproved the ones that, um, you know, you can like it. And I'm now banned from reviewing on Amazon after doing that. And all the bad reviews have been deleted. Um, and even though some people did actually purchase it, so something's going on there. There is uh, a whole ecosystem of Amazon mm. reviews and how yeah. that could be an episode in itself, yeah. I think. And it's it's he's so well, he's done lots of lecture tours of it. He basically he's he's done this before with other sciences. He basically but he's comes not up a scientist, a cra- is he? No, is he? he comes up with a crackpot theory and then does the lecture tour circuit on cruise ships and stuff like that and makes a fortune out of it. So Cruise ships. Yeah, cruise there's a whole there's a whole thing on that apparently. Wow. Um, um, Darren Nash did actually do a debate with him once in the, um, which was interesting. But it, it all, he just, he seems to be one of these people that seems to have found a niche for himself. Yeah. And every few years he'll come up with some crazy he, he's idea. He's not a scientist, is he? Not at all. What is he, a mathematician? Or I haven't got a clue, he, he's, I can't remember. I, I did look this up. He's trained in something, but it's yeah. not a science. Not that you have to be trained in something no, to be no, no. an expert on it. But he We're not fit, gatekeeping here, but. He clearly, um, he was either purposely. I've not read the whole book. I've, I've read bits, snippets of it. But he's either clearly knows he's wrong and he's just trying to... You know what? I, I, as much as possible, I like to take the line of mm. what's the harm? And sometimes yeah. these people are writing these odd, crazy things about whatever topic. And I'm like, well, you know, if people like it and, and, and they're not doing any harm, that's fine. And a friend said to me, who's not a scientist and has no skin in the game, he was furious. He, he was talking about, not, not Brian Ford, but he was talking about uh, Graham Hancock who does similar things with spoof archaeology, basically. Oh, yeah. And he just said, like, this is really insulting to all the hardworking people in those fields yeah. who never get, they never, like, look how much easier it is. Yeah. To, like, like, it's hard to be a scientist. You're not making lots of money. Um, you have to work within this system, which is very strict and very tough, and it takes you a very long time to make any headway. And a lot of things are stacked against you because science, science has to be so careful in theory when it's being done properly and look how much easier it is to just take some crazy and way more fun idea and and run with that and just go straight onto the cruise ships and the the lecture circuit and you don't have to adhere to any systems anymore you can do whatever you like and people will love you for it especially if you're if you're peddling this idea that oh i'm going up against i'm david going up against the goliath of some entrenched system they will love you even more it's like populism of science, isn't it? It is. Well, I think that's a very good way of putting it. So I, I, I flip and flop on this stuff because I enjoy reading that stuff and I, I, I try and make it like, I, like I'm sharpening my critical abilities when I read this stuff that I don't mm. think is probably but, true. But I mean, there is people that even work... I mean, um, what's his name? Um, Hoser? Hoser? The, um, the herptologist who has named about a thousand species or something ridiculous. He just he basically finds specimens and names them. And people started catching on to him, uh, like publishing journals and stopping him. So he created his own journal and publishes in it. Um, he's possibly, you know, one of the least popular people in herptology because he just makes up, he literally just makes up species. But the, you know what I'm interested in? If you were that out of the mainstream, like, are you just out on your own limb doing your own thing? Because surely nobody else, like, mm. how can you interact with anyone else yeah. if you're that, if you have created your own system and you don't accept anyone else's? Yeah. No one's going to publish you. You can't go to conferences. 
in what way are you what I probably do you're on your own yeah well maybe you're going to like fringe conferences well, uh, so these people do go. There's nothing stopping you go into a conference. They might not let you do a talk. I, I, yeah, a, I guess that's what I mean. You're not presenting yeah, at them. I mean, yeah. Some of them do. They still, some of them still do let get allowed uh-huh. to talk. Some of these guys are big names, and maybe, yeah. maybe you're hosting your con- your little conference, and suddenly Brian Ford emails you, and you're like, well, he's a bit of a name now. Maybe I'll I'll say on the yeah. poster, controversial. Yeah. You know, researcher Brian Ford coming to speak about his controversial. Th- just call it bullshit. It's a tricky, <laughs> it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because do you let these people speak? Um, so they can be shot down, or does it legitimise them too much? Um, I mean, it's a similar argument with things like racists and yeah, stuff like yeah, that, isn't yeah, it? It's all yeah. that again. Yeah. It's a tricky one. It is. It's, it's always a tricky one to do, because um, the because especially the way the press report things, it can get totally twisted out of... Um, I mean, uh, yeah, so the press are responsible for a lot of this stuff. He did, I read mean, Darren, he did a book, didn't he, on Donation Again. He comes up a lot on these podcasts, doesn't he? Was it on Monsters, wasn't it? His, was it his Monsters In book? Finding Monsters. In Finding Monsters. And he simply... Um, that gets name-checked at least once per episode. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's, it's a good book. It's a good book. Um, and a journalist... A, uh, I say journalist, they work for The Sun. So, you know... <laughs> you know, Dare I use the word hack? Um, but uh, he... They asked him a couple of questions about Loch Ness. And then there's a whole load of stories oh, written yeah. Now, oh, it's the, it wasn't Hunting Monsters. It was the paper... Um, on sea monsters, he yeah, did, it was more it? recently. Yeah, we mentioned and this the on phenomenon the show them, before, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's um, basically plesiosaurs, wasn't it? Uh, it since plesiosaurs were discovered, uh, which is a long-necked, um, what popularly known as swimming dinosaurs. They are not dinosaurs; not they're, dinosaurs. they're marine reptiles. But um, you might know as swimming dinosaurs, um, long-necked things. And of course, since they were discovered in what been the 18th century, 19th century, something like that. Um, Lots of sea monsters have suddenly yes, resembled them, yes. and they're saying they're talk, they were talking about the human concept and yes. way they they're portrayed. And he's talking about uh, mythical monsters yeah. as being yeah. cultural products yeah. rather than physical beings. Yeah. So he, yeah, and um, uh, he says, "Isn't it interesting how yeah. sea monster reports take off yeah. after these giant sea-going monsters are discovered yeah. in the early 19th century?" And yeah. it ba- he was basically asked if he thinks Loch Ness is real and stuff like that, and based journalists, and he said, uh, "Well, no." And and then the story was Loch Ness expert um, wastes 19 years <laughs> proving it's not real, where he's a zoologist, paleontologist, he, and he dabbles in cryptozoology, so it's not like he's um, yeah. And they made out he was this idiot that had, yeah. Which is somewhat unfair. Oh, no, that's an understatement of the year. It's bloody unfair. unfair. But um, yeah, um, I mean, he's done loads of yeah. solid science in that time. Firstly, yeah. and, and science popularizing, and secondly, yeah. I and he um, was absolutely fascinated by this idea that yeah. well, maybe these creatures are a cultural yeah. idea. Like, I think that's fascinating in itself, and I think that's um, a legitimate conclusion that I think we, we can learn a lot from. Yeah. So I don't think you've wasted your time just because. No. Like you're chronicling a, a cultural obsession with something, yeah, and you, that's important. Why? Why do these crazy ideas? I mean, that's the idea behind my podcast, even, isn't it? Like, yeah. why? Why do these mad ideas appear, and why do they not go away? I think that's worth. I mean, yeah. that, that's leading us to where we're at now. With like fake news is just the beginning. So, okay, um, that, that'll take us to the end. We'll start to wrap up. Uh, Neil, where can people find you online, or what kind of services or exciting pro- projects do you have that people can find out? Um, I'm starting to. F- bit more photo tuition so you want to do some wildlife photography just get in contact uh, website uh, uk-wildlife.co.uk uh, at uk underscore wildlife on twitter um, and podman uk on twitter as well if you want your pod and stuff but uh, 
yeah, you'll see me ranting about um, shooting groups, misleading people. Um, I could have told you a whole other story about Hen Harrier Day on there as well, um, <laughs> where they, they put, um, one of their spokesmen for Game Life Conservation Trust was taking photos of empty fields um, and then claiming <laughs> no one was there. But the field, they took the photo about three hours before the event took place. Oh. Um, pictures of the centre at Rain and Marshes claiming it's in the middle of the countryside when it is literally a car park yes. and then perfectly yes, and then housing a, a estate. A major and, road as well. Oh, it's in the middle of a, yeah, it's inside the M25, a very <laughs> built up area. Um, and also mainly about the predator, anti-predator fences um, having vegetation on them when it was mid-August, so all the breeding finished. So it's just, uh, yes, it could go on and on. That well, check out Neil's Twitter for yeah. more stories of that kind. Thanks for being on the show. Cheers. You've been listening to a particularly fake newsy episode of Wide Atlantic Weird. As usual, if you're interested in getting in touch with us, the best place to do so is on Twitter. Twitter, as we always say, is a terrible, terrible place. However, should you want to make it a little tiny bit better, you can always get in touch with us where we are at Strange Ireland. And as we always say, we're ready to read out any interesting, strange or bizarre things that may have happened to you. 